Good morning. We're so glad that you have joined us this morning for worship on this cold morning. Is it cold? It's a little bit cold, but it's not quite cold, and the car's covered in ice, but I wasn't sure. So, um, so we're glad that you have joined us here this morning uh, for worship on this day. Uh, Mark's out of town today. Um, we're excited to have Reverend Dr. Kara Kilpatrick. I asked for the other, I can't remember all the other initials at the end. So, but we're so glad uh, Kara and Gino worship with us regularly at Early Worship, and we're excited to hear her bring our sermon this morning. Um, and, uh, and also, there's lots of other opportunities that you'll find out on the sign-up table. I encourage you to go out there and visit that. We have uh, book groups that are starting back this week. We're going to be re reading uh, one of Brene Brown's works, um, The Gifts of Imperfection. We're going to meet on Tuesday night. We've kind of moved some dates around last minute, but we'll be meeting at the cellar on Tuesday night. There's still plenty of room there. And also at 1 o'clock on uh, Thursday afternoon here at church uh, if you're interested in getting involved in that this week. Uh, later in the 11 o'clock service, we'll uh, be joined by uh, Rabbi Werchafter. Um, from Temple Adath, Israel, as well, uh, this morning in worship. Last night, uh, I was watching UK basketball like a, like a good citizen. Um, that's not necessarily part of my upbringing. The sports in my house when I was growing up was limited to, limited to uh, WWF wrestling after uh, Sunday worship. Um, which I'm not sure how that fit into my dad's psyche, but that was that was it. So it explains a lot, doesn't it? Um, I did not understand when Melissa and I were married. Uh, we dated for a long time, you know, years before, and I did not know the depths of her devotion to UK basketball uh, until we were we were married later, and um, and especially now since we have children, and now she is instilling this in Jake. Um, and so uh, I find that it is easier and less unsettling to be in the room with the game rather than to hear the screams from an adjacent room, you know, and the constant, uh. So last night I was in there trying to participate. I didn't even have my computer out. I was just, you know, watching, watching the game. Um, and, uh, and being a, a novice and not understanding a lot, I don't have a lot of technical expertise to explain what is happening on the screen except, ooh, wow, yay sports. Um, and, uh, and yet, it seems as if there's something kind of magic that happens sometimes in these moments, you know, when things coalesce and things come together and the team just does great. And how do you explain that? Yesterday, Melissa was watching, or last night she was watching it. Um, uh, she's sick. She's not here today, this morning, but she made it through the game last night. Um, and, uh, and she's saying, oh, don't you wish you could be there with all the, you know, just the amazing, you know, feeling. And I was like, no, no, this is the, that's the worst thing possible to think about is to be there with all of the, ah, I'm just unsettled thinking about it now. Um, and yet there's something amazing and kind of magic that happens when you come to a place and people are gathered together and we join in to something that we're all working toward. Um, and, uh, and amazing things can, can happen. How much more amazing can things happen whenever we listen and are aware of the kind of paradoxical way that Jesus calls us to, um, where we open ourselves to each other, when we take time to be a little bit vulnerable, when we listen to this different way to be with one another, uh, to express ourselves with the world, to listen 
and to be changed by the grace of God that invites us to this true and beloved community. So this morning, as uh, we reflect on this uh, beautiful and different and uh, paradoxical way of Jesus, uh, let's open our hearts and perhaps hear and be changed by the love of God in our lives. Let's worship together. Good morning. Would you please stand if you're able and join me in the call to worship. Loving God, awaken our hearts to your beckoning. Lead us down to the waters. Awaken our hearts to your beckoning. Show us the ebb and flow of your love. Awaken our hearts to your beckoning. Awaken our hearts to your beckoning. Carry us to justice. Lead us to peace. Loving God, awaken, awaken our hearts to your beckoning. Now will you turn and share the peace of Christ with those around you? sing together the words that you will find uh, printed on your orders of worship oh the deep deep love of Jesus I think you'll find the melody uh, familiar
Hear the word of the Lord as given to the psalmist, Psalm 1. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Instead of doing those things, those persons love the Lord's instructions, and they recite God's instructions day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time and whose leaves don't fade, whatever they do succeeds. That's not true for the wicked. They are like dust, and the wind blows away. And that's why the wicked will have no standing in the court of justice, neither will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord is intimately acquainted with the way of righteousness, but the way of the wicked is destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
lovely step, huh? Every week we get this guy. That's pretty awesome. So thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. If you'll bow your head with me for prayer. God, as we come to your word, we open it with expectation, and we ask that your spirit would be in this place and with us now to help us understand rightly all the things you wish to teach us, all the things that you would want us to know, all the things that you would want us to have, to experience. Open your word to us, Lord. Be the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to read a couple of other uh, passages that are part of the lectionary reading this morning. Um, so this may be a little bit longer of me being up here than, um, than the usual, but here we go. So this is from Jeremiah 17. It starts in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. And then our other reading is from Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 17 and going through verse 26. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich! for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, I have to open up this little thing. Our little, our printer just 
is not working right now. So I'm going to attempt to use my, uh, my iPad. This might be a little bit of a experiment, so. But I can see it. That's the good thing. Hopefully it'll stay on long enough. Um, and just to give you a little history on, on myself, I am uh, ordained through the Presbyterian Church USA. I don't know that everybody knows that or not. Um, prior to going to medical school and beginning a residency in psychiatry, and I'm doing child and adolescent psychiatry right now, um, I got a couple of theological degrees and went through the Presbyterian ordination process and worked as a hospice chaplain for several years. Um, and it was fabulous work and, and great work. And uh, if you want to know the story of how the change and uh, the, the kind of shift happened, I'm happy to tell you that. I will not tell you that right now. But um, thus the Reverend Doctor, um, when, my, uh, when I finished medical school, the pastor of the church we were going to says, I just love that I can put Reverend Doctor and it mean what it mean, you know, <laughs> instead of maybe some of the more uh, uh, common ways uh, that, that Reverend Doctor is interpreted. So I'm so happy to be here with y'all today. So thanks. So <clears throat> this scripture passage that we read today from Luke is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, I think uh, as we read here, it's, uh, it says that he came down with them to a level place. And in Greek, it's level. It kind of harkens back to Isaiah when Isaiah says that God will make the places level uh, you know, bring up uh, the lowly and bring down the high. Um, and so it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And the much more touted sermon is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and that's the one you, you hear from most, re most regularly. And we usually uh, hear it kind of preached something like this, at least this is kind of the text that happens in my mind. Um, that these beatitudes, they're a blueprint of the blessed life. The life isn't quite what we would expect it to be. The blessings are kind of turned on their heads, right? Um, we are supposed to celebrate experiencing and working in the world um, in a way that's contradictory to the world's values. Being poor, being reviled, being merciful, being pure, seeking peace, being persecuted. And they also kind of give us an avenue for hope in what seems like a world full of suffering. It's like they're telling us that God is seeing the suffering and is working to relieve, alleviate it, or remove it altogether. So in Luke's version, he kind of retains the reversal of fortunes that we find in Luke, that Luke kind of likes. Everybody is there. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, there are surf lovers and mountain trekkers, there are farmers, there are shepherds, there are textile makers. These people were poor, hungry, weeping, ill, hated, excluded. These people were also laughing, rich, full, healthy, and well-regarded. In typical Lucan style, 
his Jesus blesses those on the lower side of the socioeconomic ladder. And the term blessed here is not a you will experience fulfillment and laughter, but it is a you are satisfied, you are unburdened, you are at peace. But this shocked me. Luke's Jesus doesn't just keep it blessed. He spews an equal amount of, you better watch out, woes. He tells the healthy, the wealthy, and the respected, in other words, us, come on, all of us here, that we've been consoled. We will be hungry. We will mourn. We will weep. And oh yeah, all those false prophets who were well-respected, they knew nothing of God's will or plans. I want the love and peace, fish and bread Jesus, who only raises his hand in benediction or to throw out the money changers in the temple, right? And here there isn't a hint of the Old Testament belief that success was God's blessing. For Luke's Jesus, it is a sign that they and that we need to repent because it ain't going to be good for us. But is there another way to interpret this sermon on the plain, this sermon on a level place? I think there is. And be warned, we are going on a little trip here. Uh, so if you feel a little whiplash, you know, just work through it. It'll all come back together, I promise. Just a little journey into my mind. So in our other scripture passages of the morning, we read about the stream that keeps the trees green and productive, that wards off the dangers of the desert, and it is directly related to keeping connected to God and God's laws. The imagery got me thinking about Genesis 1. However we read the first creation account in Genesis, the imagery is fairly clear. God hovered over the waters, dark, mysterious, teeming with all the possibility of land and trees, bird and fish, sun and rain, teeming with the possibilities of sight and sound and taste and touch and smell, of love, indifference, sorrow, joy, anger, fear, assurance, tranquility. It was, an, it was all an interconnected whole, bouncing back and forth, ebbing, flowing, swimming, floating, all in the deep waters over which God spoke. If we believe science, at least as we know it now, there is a net sum of energy, molecules, and matter that are cycled and recycled in, as Elton John croons, the circle of life. <laughs> the same electrons, neutrons, and protons make up this pulpit, the carpet, the stained glass, the air, you, me, and even as we inhale and exhale, we are exchanging pieces of ourselves with each other. And we get this at some level when we do the mechanic handshake, when we're sick, or when we cover our sneezes, when we cough. And the fact that this is deaf and mute, while we can think, reflect, cry, laugh, sing, is as miraculous as it is happenstance. 
And even though we are all made up of the same common materials, the combination that makes you, you, and me, me, will seemingly never be repeated. So we're making another small jump here. Welcome to the workings of my brain. So my day-to-day -day job now involves working with people with mental illnesses of various degrees. I have spent hours with many homeless persons, many hungry, many depressed, and many anxious, and quite a few folks who were psychotic. In my previous job, working in hospice care, I spent hours with patients and families involved with and experiencing debilitating disease, regrets, questions, mourning. And if I were to take about 80% of those individuals and say sincerely to them that they are actually satisfied, unburdened, at peace, their jaws would likely drop and quite a few of them would argue with me, giving me all the reasons why things are not satisfactory, coming up with a list of their burdens and describing the deep unrest that they experience. Maybe you would do the same. I know that I have. We are as tied to our poverty as we are to our riches. At the beginning of the year, I listened to Dave Ramsey. He's somewhat a well-known money counselor. Some of y'all may have heard of him, and you may have various feelings about him. But he occasionally has repeat callers who wonder aloud why his program didn't work. He goes through his steps, because he has like seven of them or something like that, and he asks if they've done each one. And Somewhere in the conversation, there is a, well, uh, Dave, yes, um, but, uh, and then he goes on to be extremely paternalistic about what they need to do. Those listeners are tied to their poverty. I grew up in a household with an addicted brother. When my mother would complain or cry or wail about how he lied to her this time, I would simply ask, why did you believe him? This is only about the thousandth time that he's done this. And her report was usually along the lines, or retort was usually along the lines of, you can't understand, he's my son, I have to believe him. And I came to understand the cycle as being tied to a type of emotional poverty. You may have also experienced someone who is bemoaning a situation and you quite innocently and maybe even wanting to be helpful suggest a solution. And then that person gives all the reasons why that solution or any number of solutions won't work. You may have been the person we have all been these people. We are tied to our poverty as much as to our riches. So while we could understand Jesus' sermon as comforting the poor, the depressed, and the outcast, it could really be that he was shaking them up. It says Jesus was talking with his disciples, which by this time, according to Luke's account, um, included that odd collection of the twelve. 
And I imagine that Peter could have been on that plane, smugly thinking about how much better he was than Matthew, the tax collector, because he earned an honest wage, even if he was poor. And Jesus was saying, Simon, you weren't poor, man. You have much more than Matt over there. Get over yourself. Stop being so smug. I have been around enough depressed people who would be incredulous if told they would laugh again. For those in the depths of depression, a future with laughter is unbelievable, and to suggest it could be considered cruel. Yet Jesus does. It's unnerving. Looking through these filters, the blessings are as unexpected and exposing as the woes. It's a sermon that is a call to repentance for everyone, because when we are tied to our poverty or our riches, we are utterly self-absorbed. But the trick is that we can be self-absorbed in our repentance as well. I see this most often as an overwhelming guilt or shame, where we are equally paddling like crazy to make ourselves better while we try to hide away the parts of us we feel are being exposed. How do we come to Jesus just as we are, releasing the guilt and the shame so we can be truly transformed and be an agent of transformation in the world? As Jesus continues his sermon, he pushes us to interpret reality differently. Our enemies are not our enemies. A strike on the cheek is not a call to react. We will not be lacking by giving away our possessions. Our judgments are not the truth. This sermon on the plain, or this sermon on a level place, can then be interpreted by the title it's been given. Jesus is saying that the, the playing ground is already level. No matter how we understand our position in this world, high or low, all the positions are the same. We are all equal before God. We are all covered in the metaphorical waters, all connected all made out of the same stuff, all sustained in the same way. And God hovers over it all, speaks to it all. And if we pay close enough attention, not in the busyness of our minds, but in the quietness of our souls, we'll recognize that water as the love of Christ, the love that is higher, deeper, wider, longer than we can even fathom, the love that connects us to one another, that helps us to be filled with all the fullness of God. It is abundance when so much of our experience tells us there is scarcity. With this abundance, the waters fill our mouths with laughter. They keep the leaves green and the tree productive. In the midst of a desert of injustice, these waters quell our fears. 
and help us produce the good fruits of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The repentance, then, is to truly believe that God, that Christ, loves us, and that this overwhelming love of Christ is for you and for the whole entire world, exactly as it is, exactly as we are. Brennan Manning says that on Judgment Day, he believes that the one question we will be asked is, and asked by Christ, is, did you believe that I really loved you? This is the question that will transform us and will transform the world. So Jesus says, do not be afraid. Repent. See reality from my point of view. Come to the waters of baptism, the waters of my love. Let them pour over you, through you. Let them surround you. For in reality, they do. We are all connected in ways that are beyond our imagining, connected in the waters of Christ's love. God's kingdom is here, keeping us afloat even now. May we know the love of Christ in our bones, and may that knowledge embolden and strengthen us in our work for justice, that all may know and experience living in the abundance of the living waters. continue our response this morning by singing Spirit Open My Heart. You'll find that number 692 in your hymnals.
or to even come to the waters again that we have before us. Dip your hands into the waters and to remember the love that God has called us to be a part of this morning. Join me as we read our call to prayer together. Jesus, you go before us. You walk behind us. You are above us, below us, beside us. When we lie down, when we arise, when we go about our days, as we wait in the stillness,
exist. To know your love, to know your grace. Give us courage to step beyond our fear and our shame and our guilt. That we might not be bound by our riches or by our poverty. We might see the glorious connection of grace and of love that you have surrounded us with. May we notice, God, and accept that we are already loved, that we are already connected deeply to you and to humanity and to all of your beloved creation. us to live into this truth, God. Thank you for your grace and for your kindness. May this love change us that our lives might reflect this, not just here in this place and not just here with these good people, but with the good people that are beyond these walls. grateful that you have joined us for worship this morning, that you have been here. Thank you so much, Karen, for leading us in worship, for preaching this morning. We're so grateful for your leadership here. And uh, so I'm encouraged. I'm blessed. I feel like you were reading my mail a little bit, and, uh, and I, I appreciate your word this morning to us. So if you will now, as we go, uh, let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song together. You'll uh, find it number 543 in your hymnals. God be the love to search and keep you.